President Lyons would like to take roll. Commissioner Walker. Here. Uh, Commissioner Benedicto. Present. Commissioner Yanez. Present. Commissioner Byrne. Here. Commissioner Yee. Here. Vice President Carter Oberson is in route. President Lyons, do you have a quorum? Also here with us tonight, we have Chief William Scott, who is also in route from the San Francisco Police Department, and Director Paul Henderson from the, San, uh, from the Department of Police Accountability. <laughs> Line item one, general public comment. At this time, the public is welcome to address the commission for up to two minutes on items that do not appear on tonight's agenda, but are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the police commission. Under police commission rules of order during public comment, neither police or DP personnel nor commissioners are required to respond to questions by the public, but may provide a brief response. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 2485-007-3141. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways. Email the Secretary of the Police Commission at sapd.commission at sfgov.org, or written comments may be sent via U.S. Postal Service to the Public Safety Building located at 1245 3rd Street, San Francisco, California, 94158. This time, if you'd like to make public comment, please approach the podium or press star 3. Good evening. Um, my name is Paulette Brownham. As usual, coming here concerning my son, Aubrey Arbacasa, who was murdered 2006. To this day, his case is unsolved. I will continue to come here pleading for justice for my son. And um, what do we do to change the laws about people coming forth? I know we had the meeting and everything uh, concerning um, where the money was going as far as our and how much is being paid out. I have a $250,000 reward has not yet to been paid out to anyone that came forth. They have all the names of the perpetrators that murdered my son. This is what they left me with, me standing over my son in a casket. No mother should have to do this. No mother should have to do this at all. I wouldn't wish this on the perpetrators that killed my son. And I hope that my, my pleading every week and every Wednesday is not going to deaf ears. I don't know what else I need to say anymore. If you have a family member, tell them you love them every day. You don't know when the last time you will see them can walk off, the, walk off the street and get hit by a car. You just, grief is grief. So I'm going to pull this up and you can take it off of that, off of the, I want people to see my face, to let them know that this grief never ends. It never goes away. My son lives here in my heart. They took his body, but he's still with me. I still want justice for my child.
Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Yes. Uh, this is um, David Elliott Lewis. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, I am a, an eight-year member of the SFPD Crisis Intervention uh, Training Team, a mental health working group. I'm a civilian member. I have uh, done training in the past. I've helped write DGOs related to use of force, the CIT, and other important DGOs as a community member providing input. And I'm here to talk about the staffing needs of this critical unit. Ideally, this unit should have at least eight members, actually 10 members, but a minimum of eight. Right now it's down because as, as you know, there's a staffing crisis at SFPD. The unit's down to four members, three active, one's away. So there's only three people doing this important work. It's been a, a model for the nation. This agency gets requests from other departments around the country for training, for consulting, uh, to train their members. They can't do the work at three people. They just can't. They have half of them are assigned to field response to help with the Department of Public Health crisis response. Half are, are, are assigned to training, but at three members, it's not doable work. We'll be requesting a, mem a meeting with Chief Scott to uh, discuss this further, but we're alerting the police commission that this critical unit is being um, is being kind of short-staffed. And some of the problems of short-staffing are actually resulting from the, the police department reassigning its patrol oh, to other duties, like standing around at Union Square for their shopper theft prevention program. It's actually called something else. For HSOC, uh, for uh, administrative type positions, uh, for community engagement work. And while all those things are important, I don't mean to downplay the importance of community engagement. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Um, my name is Susan Buckman. I live in District 6 and I volunteer with Wealth and Disparities in the Black community. The following is a quote from our founder, Felicia Jones. <clears throat> Addressing the injustices against Black San Franciscans is urgent. I'm going to call it what it is, anti-Blackness, in terms of use of force, arrest, and racial profiling and traffic stops by SFPD. I've grown tired of talking to the Police Commission, the SFPD, and to the Board of Supervisors. Where is the urgency? If the tables were turned and these statistics represented white folks, I know there would be an urgency. When are you going to take responsibility and address the harsh, biased, and unjust statistics? You took an oath to uphold the law for all San Franciscans. As I said, I am tired, not tired enough to quit, however, tired of beating a dead horse and tired of our concerns falling on deaf ears. Wealth and Disparities in the Black Community has tracked quarterly data reports issued by SFPD since 2016. The reports have long shown horrific anti-Black disparities in use of force, arrests, and racial profiling via traffic stops. The second quarter 2022 report, published late last year, shows a suspicious change in the data. Suddenly, from quarter one to quarter two, the disparity has dropped from Black people being 15 times more likely to be subject to use of force than white people to just nine times more likely. But at the same time, SFPD is now reporting more than twice the number of people of unknown or other race being subjected to use of force, from 4% to 10%. Data and we don't buy it. SFPD cannot suddenly change its way of collecting and reporting data 
to manipulate statistics in an attempt to avoid scrutiny from the public. Thank you. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Hi, my name is Pratibha Teke, and I am a community organizer at Tenron Housing Clinic, and I oversee Central City Asaro Collaborative Program. And I'm speaking on behalf of the Safety Committee of Central City Asaro Collaborative. Um, I'm here to express my concern and disappointment about how Tenron community has been ignored all this time. I know that last year, Mayor declared an emergency declaration, and part of a declaration also included to, uh, to address the open-air drug market in Tenderloin. We have seen little to very little improvement in that aspect. We have also asked for community policing. We asked for visibility, which we have seen off and on, not consistently. I just want to take this opportunity to ask our commissioners what, what is the plan for Tenderloin to curtail the open-air dealing? Why Tenderloin is considered as a containment zone by the city, and over the years has been demonstrated that's what is going on. So I've not heard from any commissioner requesting, talking about what we, I, I know that there had been several meetings and several presentations about what's going on in Tenderloin, but we have not seen a clear, concise, uh, plan and also engagement from the community as to how to curtail the the open air dealings. And I I'm urging and asking what is going to happen and asking the commissioners to do something about it because we have not seen anything yet. Thank you. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Yes, this is Gloria Berry from District 10. I'm calling. Um, to send a message to the San Francisco PD to do due diligence in finalizing the evidence of the case on Collier Gwynn, the man that holds the homeless woman, and to not drop the ball on that evidence and get it in on a timely manner and also to execute that warrant. And I would also like to um, remind one of the commissioners that these commission meetings do not count as outreach to the community. I remember um, Commissioner Walker saying that one time that this that we need commissioners to come out to the community and talk to the people, especially to black people, to see what's really going on versus um, data that doesn't always tell the full story. Thank you. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. So, commissioners, my name is Francisco da Costa. And last time, uh, when y'all were talking about uh, giving the reward, uh, I was in a line, but somehow uh, I couldn't uh, connect. So, I want y'all to hear to this uh, incident very carefully. And the police chief knows about this incident. We had a shooting of a brother, well-known all over the city, called Jungle. And he died. He was shot right in front of his house. And the killer was known. And the first thing the police did was send a message out that he died. When we rushed to the hospital, we found out he was alive. 
He suffered for 10 days, was shot in the head. Now this issue of saying, uh, oh, you know, there's a reward for $25,000. You know, you must find out why the community, community is misled. There are cases where some people have received as much as 400,000, 200,000, not long ago, but in the last five years. We have to be very sensitive when these killings take place. In this case, the killer killed another person in the East Bay and was arrested and is in jail now. And I shouldn't be giving the details, but this is a very, very serious case. His name was Joseph Toye. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. <clears throat> um, good evening. My name is Kit Hodge. I'm also a volunteer with Boston Disparities in the Black Community. Um, calling to echo Susan's comments from earlier, um, please um, look into and discuss. Uh, data collection, unfortunately, there's a history of um, lack of opaqueness and lack of honesty about Quinella's data that um, should hopefully uh, urge commissioners to not assume that what the information they're getting is correct, unfortunately. Um, I also want to point out that um, the continued surges of police officers in the name of community policing, um, when we see it, is usually just police officers standing in corners talking to each other and not actually doing community policing. Um, I see this time and time and time again. So if we are investing in community policing, which is what the community is asking for, it needs to be done well. And that does not mean that officers are standing around talking to each other in groups um, and not actually talking to people in the community and walking around. Thank you. President Lyons, that is the end of public comment. Thank you. Next item, please. Line item two, consent calendar, receive and file, action. SFPD and DPA's SB 1421 and SB 16 report. Motion to receive and file. Second. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is, I'm sorry. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item two, consent calendar, please approach the podium or press star three now. And there is no public comment. And once again, I'm sorry, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone is yes. And President Elias? Yes. President Elias is yes. You have seven yeses. Thank you. Next item. Line item three, Chief's Report, Discussion. Weekly crime trends and public safety concerns. Provided an overview of offenses, incidents, or events occurring in San Francisco having an impact on public safety. Commission discussion on unplanned events and activities the Chief describes will be limited to determining whether to counter for a future meeting. Chief Scott. Good evening, Chief. Um, I just wanted to, before uh, turning the floor over to you, let people know that since we love change so much, I have asked the Chief to um, present his Chief's report in a different manner. Um, each week he provides us with stats, which the department um, provides in a sheet that is attached to our weekly uh, agenda, which has all the stats with respect to the crime report or the crime trends from last week to year to date. Uh, and it's a beautiful uh, 
I think, piece of paper that has all of the uh, stats on it. So rather than waste the chief's time in reading us those stats, I'm going to have uh, Sergeant Youngblood post those stats so that the commissioners who have presumably already read the information in preparation for tonight know what the stats are so that they can, and the public can look at it, so that if we have any questions, we can then ask the chief at the end. But it also allows the chief more time to focus on substantive issues um, in terms of giving the commission and the public updates of what's going on. So we're going to try this format out for a little while, and hopefully it will be well received. And then we are going to ask DPA to follow suit in terms of providing us stats on um, the screen and then giving us more substantive updates so chief should we clap or are we just going to just go right in we're going right into okay. substantive right. I, because i think both of your staffs provide this information in a really concise well thought out paper i mean presentation for us already so all about efficiency chief okay thank you president elias for those efficiencies now i'll make note of one thing in the in the report um the statistics and actually uh, this was just caught by Commissioner Yee when the public when you see the robbery the arrow is in the wrong direction it should be an increase and not a decrease so I'll make that note but let me start off with the significant incidents I know from last week uh, there was were questions by the Commission on um, the incident that happened um, with the the um, person who was sprayed with a water hose I just want to say that investigation is ongoing. We are working with uh, the district attorney's office, and uh, we will update you as that resolved. When we do think that will be resolved, but we will update you on what that resolution is and when the appropriate time. So the district attorney's office has been um, working with the department on that issue, and um, we were hoping to have some 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 information before this meeting but that information has not uh, transpired yet so I need to wait until I get confirmation on a few things from the investigation before I can uh, make that public statement as to what those things are so I just wanted to keep the Commission updated because I know that was a uh, item of Commission and public interest I'm going to highlight a couple of other significant incidents uh, that happened during this past week starting with an incident last night and a couple things um, and I'll be brief on on this incident it involved the catalytic converter theft and that's been a, a problem in our city and a problem in our state huge problem and this particular case uh, officers responded to um, a theft in progress of a catalytic converter they observed uh, suspects and gave chase when the suspects tried to run away and one of the individuals actually fired several shots at the officers. So thank goodness nobody, either our officers or the public, members of the public were hurt on that case. There is one person in custody, um, two other suspects are being sought after, they escaped the perimeter, and that is an ongoing investigation. So um, we're very fortunate there. But one thing I wanna point out with that as well is we've made a lot of uh, progress in terms of some of our tactical training, CMCR, critical mindset, coordinated response and uh, the FTO unit, field training force options unit, and many other people in the department have really invested a lot of time and energy to make sure that as best we can, these types of situations have resolutions that um, are successful outcomes and nobody get, is getting hurt. So I just wanna commend the officers for their restraint and their professionalism in this particular case. Obviously a very dangerous situation. 
but um, this is where our training and all the investments in our training uh, pays off. And again, we have one suspect in custody and uh, we will pursue the evidence to get the other suspects in custody. But I just wanted to note that very dangerous situation. Also, um, Commissioner Walker and I attended a town hall meeting in the marina yesterday. One of the items of interest that came up at the meeting, there was a rash of car break-ins in uh, the Northern District. This was on Filbert, Filbert Street um, at about just before midnight on January 15th, so a couple of days ago. 17 cars in total. Uh, had their windows shattered. shattered. Uh, some items were stolen from some of the cars. Other cars were just kind of ransacked and glove compartments and uh, consoles were ransacked and, and no items were taken. So we are investigating. We do have some leads to follow up on it uh, to wake up in the middle of the night on a rainy day or the next morning and find your window shattered and your car's interior soaking wet is something that is very frustrating for all of us particularly the victims in this case. So we are following through. Uh, Captain Jackson was at the meeting last night and addressed the public on this and many other issues of public concern. So if anyone has any tips about any of these cases that I mentioned tonight, please call 415-575-4444. That is our uh, tip line and you can text the tip at TIP411. You can text the tip and you, your information can remain anonymous. Uh, some of the other highlights I wanna point out there were no um, stunt driving events this week or sideshows. We did have three shooting incidents, one at 19th and Cap, one at uh, the 3100 block of uh, 24th Street in the Mission District, and the other one at 3rd and Harrison. And all of those um, are being investigated. We do have leads, some cases better than others, and hopefully we can bring those to resolution as far as uh, suspects or people involved being taken into custody. There was a uh, robbery involving uh, juvenile uh, youths. This occurred at Mason and O'Farrell in the Tenderloin on the 14th of January at 8.31 p.m. While standing in the area of Mason and O'Farrell, uh, three people surrounded the victim and began to kick and punch the victim. The victim fell to the ground, lost consciousness, and the three people took the victim's first cell phone and bank cards. The victim was transported to stable condition. Uh, our officers responded, did a search of the area, followed up on evidence, and located the people involved in the area of Taylor and Market. They were all taken into custody, and the stolen property was recovered. Um, so this was a good piece of police work by our responding officers. And I know uh, Commissioner Yan has uh, spoken about our crimes involving youth. Um, so we will keep the commission and the public updated on the trends that we're seeing, but we have seen a little bit of a spike in these types of crimes involving youth. So uh, hopefully we can get that turned around and work with uh, everybody that works with youth to see what, to get a handle on this. Uh, just two other incidents that I wanna talk about. Um, significant incidents, there are a couple of burglaries, one in the 400 block of Gavin Street in the Bayview. <clears throat> The other one, the 1400 block of 24th Avenue in the Terrell. In the first one on Gavin Street, a witness saw three suspects or three people with ski masks going in and out of the victim's residence and then they fled in a black SUV driven by a fourth suspect. Believing that a burglary had just occurred, the witness called 911 because the residents were an elderly couple and it was unknown if they were home or not. Officers conducted a protective sweep and determined that no one was at home. The residents had signed that a burglary just occurred. 
Homeowner was contacted, responded to the scene. A brief uh, inventory revealed that over $100,000 worth of jewelry and uh, thousands of dollars of cash were taken from the incident. So that one as well, we're following up on. The issue being, um, this was the residence of a elderly couple and this is a trend also that is disturbing that we wanna get a handle on. So hopefully we can get these leads to get people in custody that are responsible. The next one uh, was the 1400 block of 24th Avenue. Victim returned and found his residence front metal gate, front door had been forced open. He had left his home about 9.48 a.m. and returned at 3, 3.05, uh, finding that the forced entry had occurred. A uh, quick inventory of the residence was done and there was a large amount of cash. Um, High-end clothing items and accessories were taken, valuing over $100,000. The witness advised of a loud banging coming from the residence at approximately noon and observed a car parked on the sidewalk in an odd position. So we do have video footage uh, that we're following up on on that. And again, hopefully we can, that will lead us to the people responsible and we, I will keep the commission posted on that particular incident. But um, trend being high-end, high-value uh, merchandise is being apparently sought after. So that should give us some leads as well. Uh, last thing, community engagement. Uh, just an update on our community engagement and our community liaison unit. Um, during the week, they offered um, outreach to eight crime victims, um, and one which was African-American, seven were Asian. The past week, our community liaison unit offered services to four, the victims in four incidents, including a residential robbery, two robberies with force, and um, a pretty significant incident at Lincoln High School in which several victims were um, were assaulted in that particular case. So just as a reminder, this uh, unit was stood up during the global pandemic when we had a tremendous spike in hate crimes. And one of their responsibilities is to provide more support to victims and their families. So uh, they do a tremendous amount of work in that regard. It's a value added in terms of our delivery of service. But our primary role is to try to, to prevent these types of crimes from happening as well. So part of what they also do is information about crime prevention and how to prevent these events from happening again so we don't have repeat victims. Uh, that is my report. I heard the bell and uh, thank you. No, you have time to spare. Look how much time you have. You have like a half a minute. So <laughs> great job. Um, so we have the weekly crime trends up. Any commissioners have any questions with respect to uh, weekly crime trends? Put your name in the queue. Commissioner Benedicto. All right, uh, not for the trends, just questions for the chief. Okay, got it. Um, chief, it looks like um, while we were in session, so it might be late breaking, there was an arrest warrant issued and the arrest made. There seems to be a video and some press reporting on the Collier Gwynn incident. Can you confirm that? The, I'm sorry, which incident? The, the uh, DA Jenkins issued the arrest warrant and then the officers made the arrest. Is that right? Um, well, that's what I was waiting to confirm. <laughs> I so, see a video from a reporter, so I assume. <laughs> so uh, my phone is on silent, so I was waiting to confirm that. So if that's the case, that's the news that I was waiting to confirm. But yes, that was the development in the case, and 
Thanks for letting me know that we made it. Yes, <laughs> I figured your phone might be on time. That, that's good to hear. I know that uh, last week you noted that you pre you presented to the commission the the form for the live surveillance that will be used um, under the new ordinance. Uh, I wanted to check since I know I mentioned. Um, so now that that form is out, um, are officers able to use that feature under the ordinance, or are there still other details? The form has to come to the commission. Has to the commission. I got it. Um, President Elias and I had a conversation, and with that, I took that information back to our team to make some adjustments uh, that I need to present to uh, President Elias. So that'll be done, and hopefully, if uh, if we've met what we were asked to do, then we'll get that agendized. I hope, and we can start that process. Perfect. So just confirming that so far the the live monitoring hasn't been used by the department. That yet. is correct. Okay, and then once I'll, you know. I'll repeat this request once it becomes uh, in use, but I, I ask that when it gets used, it be included in your weekly report uh, to the extent that it doesn't disclose active investigations, that it was used you know, X number of times with some disaggregated information. Happy to do that. And then I think um, we talked about the MOU last week that uh, there's still some further meetings and we're gonna hear back about it in the month of February, is that right? That is right. One of the meetings that I referenced last week did occur this week. That was the meeting with the district attorney to flush out the language. Next step is um, the meeting has already been scheduled for the judge, uh, the mediator. Uh, he, he was taking some time off, and uh, when he gets back, that meeting is scheduled. So, um, which I believe he won't be back until the 28th, I believe. Okay, and then also uh, DPA and, and, and the side deal as well, right? Right, which one plays off the other, but we do have some uh, language to give to DPA. They gave us a draft mm -hmm. and we do have some language to give to them to consider on this uh, MO, MOU. And um, once we finish the meeting with the mediator, we can finalize that process and they will happen concurrently as the commission has directed. All right, and then the current MOU remain, uh, remains in force while these negotiations continue? Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you very much, that's all. Thank you, Commissioner Byrne. Thank you. Um, Chief, um, last week I, I asked the question about, um, and I understand it's in litigation, but about the injunction preventing the, uh, the city of San Francisco from rounding up uh, homeless people. Um, I don't know, has there been any change since I asked the question last week? Um, the uh, magistrate judge in uh, Oakland, the federal judge issued an injunction. Uh, no changes as far as it's still in litigation, so I'm not at liberty to talk about the litigation, of course, but no changes from last week. I know our city attorney's office is working hard with all the involved departments, and as soon as we get the okay to disclose more, I definitely will do that on behalf of the department. And are we, to the city attorney, are we going to get a briefing in closed session um, about, about this litigation? Yes, we will. Uh, we're working with uh, President Elias to schedule it on the agenda. Thank you. Is that it? Great. Commissioner Yee? Thank you, uh, President Cindy Elias. Uh, Chief, I, I just have a question looking at the stat sheet for, I guess we're looking at um, shooting by district versus uh, 2022 to 2023. And looking at the Mission District, uh, it just uh, pops right out. Uh, there's like four shootings compared to zero last last year, and I, I know there's um, there's probably a high incidence of uh, homicides that does follow the, the shooting. It's like an accident that's waiting to happen. So after so many shootings, uh, you start having uh, homicides that does happen. Uh, 
was wondering if there's a way that we can, I guess you have the teams and what they call the crisis uh, or violent uh, crisis intervention team that go into certain neighborhoods where there's retaliatory strikes or you know, shootings and stuff. I wonder if that applies to the Mission District as well. Um, yes, sir, Th this particular um, spike is actually one, one incident. Um, last week there were four people shot in one incident and unfortunately one of them passed away. So um, yes, the answer is yes. I mean, we do have some significant progress on that case um, and those things uh, will be done on that case in terms of trying to mitigate future, uh, the possibility of the future. But we, we don't, without disclosing too much, because I know we, we haven't made the, uh, we hadn't finalized this case yet, or, or I'm not sure that it applies in this particular case, but some of the factors at play, it, it might. So we will get our um, community violence response team is the unit that does that type of work on the department's behalf and brings all those resources together, including SVIP and whoever else we need to get involved to mitigate and try to stop retaliation. So yeah. if it does apply, we will employ that in this case. As I understand, it was uh, right after um, the closing of a bar or Correct. stuff like that. I was wondering if there's um, any strategy of, of having uh, patrols coming out right after the bar close and maybe um, pay more attention to some of those locations or go to the entertainment commission and making sure that the establishment uh, have um, proper security as well. Just, just want to see what your thoughts are. Uh, yeah, yes, when I, at this point, we don't believe that the, the bar actually had anything to do with this investigation. I can say that much. But to your question, if there are those types of situation where the location, um, for whatever reason, has a number of violent incidents or in and around the location or like over service that causes people to um, drink more alcohol than what they should be served. We do work with the entertainment, I mean, permitting and those entities to, to mitigate those circumstances. We don't believe that's the case in this one, but I'm not ruling out it totally, but we don't think that's the case in this particular yeah. incident. Thank you very much, Chief. Thank you. Thank you. Sergeant? For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item three, please approach the podium or press star three. I'm sorry, Sergeant Youngblood, sorry. I did have my I'm hand sorry. up. Is it still? <laughs> I'm sorry, Commissioner Yanez. I'm sorry about that. It's okay, sorry about that. And um, I just wanna take the opportunity to make an announcement that I had checked in with the chief around. Um, there was a comment last week made about gun buybacks and considering that this conversation is about shooting incidents, uh, I had inquired with the chief whether it was still possible for members of the community to drop off uh, guns at district stations uh, confidentially. He affirmed that that is a possibility. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that the community at large knows that that is an option for people. It's not gun buyback per se, but it is a way to get guns off the streets and support the department's efforts in uh, removing guns from the community. Uh, but along those lines, I did want to then follow up with that question, Chief. Are there any uh, plans uh, in the near future to 
roll out gun buybacks or to extend or expand that program? Um, we so uh, United Players is the consistent entity that uh, helps put on the gun, or they do put on the gun buybacks, and we we support them actually. And uh, we they just had one a couple of months ago, so I believe they do two a year, Commissioner. And I, I, I will follow up on that, but I believe they do two a year. There was um, another entity a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, that also did one in the Bayview, but. Um, we haven't seen that entity do any more since then. But United Players, um, they do good work in that regard. And I will follow up to, with them to see exactly when their next one is. Thank you. Yeah. Members of the public that like to make public comment, please approach the podium or press star three. on the police on the chief's report right okay again i'm back again i uh, was talking about uh, the gun buybacks and how people uh are bringing in their gun what about the ghost guns there's no tracing of that what about those our children are still getting killed with those ghost guns so something needs to be done about that you can have all the gun buyback programs you want and people bringing in their guns they don't want anymore but what about those guns that are being made with no tracing and our children are still dying from them? They said, you know, whether it's, I like to use the overhead again, and it doesn't matter whether it's the police killing our kids or the community violence or the black on black crime or however you want to call it. We were talking about um, the cases being solved and who's coming forth. You have all the names of the perpetrators that murdered my child, uh, Hannibal Thomas, Paris Moffitt, Andrew Badu, Jason Thompson, Anthony Hunter, and Marcus Carter. One of them is deceased. You have all of the names of those people that murdered my child, and they're still out here on the street to murder again. As I mentioned before, this is what they left me with. My son laying on a girdie. My son here, look at his face. He's dead. I get tired of looking at this sometimes. I get tired of it. My son had a, a father too. He, this wasn't a one family. He had a mother and a father at home. He was raised well. And I asked again, I know it didn't get mentioned, but if anybody know and can come forth concerning my son, Please, I'm here every Wednesday speaking about my child. I shouldn't have to see my son face like this. That I pass. For members of the public that have any information regarding the murder of Aubrey Abacasa, you can call the anonymous 24-7 tip line at 415-575-4444. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. What I want to speak about today is on C-SPAN, there were males and people involved with crime giving a report that the entire nation heard. There was no representation from San Francisco. 
There was representation from San Jose. And I think when we hire policymakers and we say we are going to better uh, the situation, we need them to represent at those forums. They are important because all the law enforcement entities are there and they would like to hear the progress that we make in San Francisco. Thank you very much. Good evening, everyone. I'm Ramona Burton. My brother is Mark Anthony Coates. I seek justice for my brother, as always. Um, again, I, I, I can't even formulate a, a sentence, and I'm not usually shy. I'm not usually shy to talk to people, but her, her passion, and she's coaching me on the proper protocol for this meeting. And so again, I, I implore you guys to try something different than what you're doing. All of the nice programs are not effective, and so we need to try something else. Um, I would suggest, um, I would like to see more tips, the tip process revisited so that there could be tips or rewards for tips that lead to more action towards a case. I think that that would be beneficial. And I also think that more cameras that are workable around these sharpshooter things, that I guess that measure the gunshots, um, there are no cameras there. Oh, thank you. Um, maybe cameras in, that, in those areas so when the police actually arrive, and there's nobody there that they can look at the footage of the persons or persons or whatever the shots, wherever they came from. Um, I would like to see something like that. I would love to be a part of some sort of committee or that's grounds roots in the community. Again, I think more community involvement is necessary and whatever I could do to support that, I would be very happy to do so. Thank you. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Hi, it's Gloria Berry from District 10 again. Um, one, I wanted to point out that at the top of the meeting, the access code on the SFGov was wrong, and um, that's not the first time. However, it's been corrected since uh, we've been calling in, and then on the website, it's correct. And maybe uh, DPA can relay to the sheriff oversight. They're having the same problem. And then as far as the speech report, there was mention of the arrest of um, the guy that holds the um, homeless woman, or I don't know if she's homeless or if she's sitting there. But um, I just wanted to reiterate how important this case is because it's symbolic of how San Francisco treats homeless people and the rhetoric that folks refuse service needs to stop. Um, me being homeless for three years, I was sent to next door shelter. It was unsafe. Someone took my boots. So they were calling me the B word throughout the night. I left there. Then they sent me to rehab, and I don't even use drugs, but it was the only shelter bed for a woman in San Francisco. And I refused to stay there because they treat you like you're in jail there. 
And then transitional housing is also unsafe because a lot of times people want their own room. They don't want a roommate, so they antagonize you and they do things to you, threaten you and, and damage your property and whatnot to, to discourage you from staying there. So I really hope that we don't move toward if someone refuses services, then police or public works or whoever can take people's property and um, also let that start being a way to arrest people if that's in the future, because I'm not sure, I can't tell. Thank you. President Lyons, that is the end of public comment. Thank you, next item. Line item four, DPA director's report, discussion. Report on recent DPA activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determine whether to counter any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Executive Director Henderson. Good evening. <clears throat> uh, let me just start off by saying I, I really, I commend the chief and the department. I commend the commission uh, on the new uh, reporting with the department's information. I think having that kind of parity elevates the whole conversation. Not only that, but it gives us a real opportunity to see beyond just the stats and the numbers, some of the work that's being done and good work that's being done for the public safety. I just, it's a very big deal, I think, for everybody in this room to have information like this that makes policing more publicly accessible for our conversations and makes it less esoteric, more readily available. And I, I think, just think it's a really good thing. It's also not lost on me that it gives context to the information that DPA presents every week and makes it that much more relevant because it's compared to what is going on with the policing stuff as well. So I just, I just didn't want to let it go without acknowledging what a big deal I think it's going to make specifically for the public in terms of what we do here on a weekly basis. That said, now I'll give my report. Uh, okay. Uh, so I have 17 cases that have been opened so far this year. Uh, this time last year I had opened uh, 21 cases. Uh, I've closed 17 cases as well so far this year. Uh, in terms of cases that are pending and open, I have 271 cases that are open in the agency right now and we have not sustained any cases so far this year, nor have we mediated any cases uh, so far this year. In terms of cases whose investigations has gone beyond nine months so far, again, not triggering or losing any cases to 3304, which I have not done since taking over at DPA, uh, we have 31 cases. And of those 31 cases, 21 of the cases are told, meaning that the time is not running out on those cases because there's ancillary litigation, either civil or criminal, associated with those cases. There are nine cases that are pending currently with the commission, and there are 84 cases that are pending resolution with the chief and the, with the department. In terms of the weekly trend, again, my statistics are published, so I'm not going to read all of them. I just read the top two to give a sense of what's happened since the last commission meeting that we've had. Uh, the 25% of the allegations that came in have been referred to another department or agency. That's typically always a high number. I just want to explain it again just to make sure what it is. Uh, even if you Google police reform, you're going to get DPA. And so we get frequent calls from a lot of places that are just looking for information uh, about incidents that may have happened to them. My staff is specifically trained to try and make referrals to other agencies or other places. Uh, and for instance, in San Francisco, 
we will get calls about uh, jurisdiction or for things from the CHP or from park police or any other kind of jurisdiction. And so what this number is reflective of are people having narratives that isn't necessarily associated with SFPD uh, and or the Sheriff's Department, which DPA is involved with as well. So that's what that number is and what it represents. Uh, the other highest allegation that came in this week was 17% for, uh, of allegations for an officer failure, failure to take required action. Frequently, those are uh, cases where people have demanded or wanted a police report taken and or action taken by an officer. Say they see something and say this person should be arrested and they're engaged in behavior or something like that. I know I'm over-explaining it this week, but just because we bring it up so often from time to time, I just want to explain what these stats mean, even though the records are uh, on our website in case people have other questions about them. In terms of the district breakdown, which we started doing uh, earlier this year, uh, and again, I'm only going to focus on the top two and not go ad nauseum to every department. Uh, the top two allegations for complaints this week came from uh, Bayview and from Tenderloin Station. Uh, in Bayview, uh, there were calls for officers to about people uh, fixing cars on the street and uh, folks wanted the officers to get involved uh, in that situation. Uh, in the Tenderloin, there were also uh, two allegations uh, where folks wanting uh, the officers to make an arrest on specific individuals. These cases, again, are allegations, not necessarily cases that are being investigated, but in allegations that are coming in, just to give everyone a sense of the kind of cases that are coming into the agency. Also, the full list is on the website in case folks have more questions or want to know more of what those allegations look like. In terms of outreach, on Tuesday, January 17th, uh, DPA hosted a Know Your Rights training session uh, this is the first time that we've done this. This was for approximately 40 students, and the students all came in as a request from the school district, uh, and that the students were from John O'Connell High School, uh, and one of the teachers there coordinated all of it. Uh, we also, last week, uh, coordinated an, um, a conference with the HRC with the department and with DPA on the Karen Act in terms of uh, how to move forward in interpreting that legislation to make it more efficient for the city. And I'll have more information on that uh, as that collaboration unfolds. In terms of audit this week, uh, DPA and the Office of the Controller have completed their preliminary review of SFPD's 24-month uh, responses to the recommendations made in 2020. Now that was the use of force audit, and just to make sure that everyone knows and understands, once you do an audit, there are follow-up requirements so that the agency being audited uh, has follow-up questions and actions that need to take place, and every six months, I give a report on what those follow-ups are. That's why we're still talking about this audit from 2020. Those, those responses will be published and you will see them and you will continue to receive uh, information on the, this and the other audits as well. On the 13th, DPA and the controller's office sent the results of those reviews back to SFPD uh, with required clarification on some of the recommended responses that were given by the department. Uh, those responses are coming back from SFPD 
on January 20th, and there will be a subsequent publication of what those uh, responses are. So everyone will see and hear this in the ongoing audit. I'm just explaining it a little bit more so people know what they're looking for and how to understand how that process works. Uh, today, we do have one of the cases that are in closed session. Uh, also current in the room today are Senior Investigator Matt Stonecipher and our Chief of Staff, Sarah Hawkins. In case there are issues that come up during today's uh, meeting, they can address some of those issuations with the public or the audience that are here today. Uh, in terms of a little bit of foreshadowing, in terms of what we're going to be doing throughout the year, at the request of the Commission, uh, future reports from DPA are also now going to start including outstanding issues related to San Francisco um, Police Department in terms of late filings or um, late responses in three areas. Uh, they are investigations, audit, and policy. So we're about to start unrolling that. I'm just explaining to everyone what it is, and I'll have a deeper explanation when we start rolling out what those guidelines are. These are guidelines outlined in the DGOs that have been agreed to ahead of time. Uh, and now I'm going to start revealing how those results play out. Uh, if anyone has any questions for DPA, uh, you can contact us at sfgov.org forward slash DPA or you can contact our agency at 415-241-7711. And that concludes my report. I have other comments on some of the agenda items, but I'll wait until those items are called before I give my input, comments, suggestions, and advice. Thank you, Director Henderson, and I appreciate your willingness to adapt to the new format style. Um, I think that people, I, I think you and the department do a great job of visually putting together the data. So I think, you know, um, it's going to really save time and allow you to be more substantive in your telling us all the great things that DPA did. I'm looking forward to it. I, I think this is really such a good deal. Also for people that really want to dive deeper into the things that myself or the chief is saying, to be able to go to the websites and look at the information themselves, follow their own stats, look at the trends themselves. I just think it's a really big deal for the public. I hope it's not lost on folks how much more they're able to understand the process. Whether you agree or disagree, you can't fix what you, don't, what you can't talk about. And you can't talk about what you don't understand. I think these reports really help and go a long way for the public specifically in understanding policing and understanding the role of DPA and the issues that we deal with regularly during the week. So I, it, it really is a big deal. I just don't want it lost on folks. <laughs> Thank you, Director Henderson. Uh, I don't see any names in the queue, but Commissioner Yanez, any questions for Director Henderson? Great. Sergeant? For members of the public, they would like to make public comment regarding line item four. Please approach the podium or press star three. There's no public comment. Next item, please. Line item five, commission reports, discussion, and possible action. Commission reports will be limited to a brief description of activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Commission president's report, commissioner's reports, and commission announcements and schedule of items identified for consideration at a future commission meeting. Thank you. Commissioner Benedicto. <clears throat> Thank you, President Elias. Um, a few things uh, for my report. Um, I wanted to provide an update on 
Um, I know last week, um, Commissioner Yi and I mentioned that I would be attending a meeting of the Chinese Consolidated Benevolent Association and the six companies to take place on January 20th, based on a conversation I had with Commissioner Yi before the meeting started. Um, with the upcoming Lunar New Year, we're going to do that meeting at a later date as they have other things to attend to. But um, I publicly committed to attending that meeting whenever it's set and I'm available in order to provide information to those important organizations about our pretext stop policy. Um, a few updates on Department General orders that I am responsible for. Um, after a few months of uh, productive meetings between the chief and other stakeholders on DGO 5.16 regarding search warrants. I think we've reached about as far as we're going to take it before we'll need uh, commission adjudication on some open items. So I'm going to check with um, the chief after this meeting as well as the other stakeholders to see if there's one last chance they can agree on some of the language. Otherwise, I'll ask that to be agendized in the month of February with flagged the areas where um, I'm happy to report on most areas as agreement, and there might be three or four areas where we might as a commission need to sort of break uh, and, and make decisions on those. Um, anything to add on, on 5.16 on that, Chief? That's consistent? Yeah, we have um, a draft that's pretty much ready, so if you want to meet again, definitely we'll, we'll welcome that. But I think I was going to give one last chance for a, okay. for a miracle, and then we'll, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> um, Wear them down. Yes. Um, uh, tomorrow, uh, Commissioner Yanez and I have been having meetings on uh, 7.01 regarding juveniles. So that working group will continue to meet tomorrow. We're making good progress on that department general order and the working group as well. And I want to thank the members of the community that have made themselves available for that working group. Um, continue to advance department general order 10.11 regarding body cameras um, with the help of DPA on that one. Uh, finally, I know the last, uh, late last year at a meeting, um, Vice President Carter Oberson had a, uh, had a conversation with the chief about some missed deadlines under new 3.01, and I think we've asked for that to be agendized by the department. Tomorrow, I'm also having a call with the department on some of the missed deadlines on my department general orders so we can make sure that the department's staying uh, on task and meeting those commission deadlines under 3.01. Uh, and then finally, so we're not only updating our department uh, orders. Um, I uh, am working with our deputy city attorney, Ms. Cabrera, to update our own commission rules of order, which are also uh, uh, woefully out of date. And so we'll be <laughs> updating those and hope to present those um, in the coming months with revision for a vote as well. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Commissioner Benedicto. I think you've done enough for all of us. <laughs> Vice President Carter Oberstone. Uh, thank you, President Elias. Um, this is actually something I meant to bring up last meeting but neglected to. Um, just wanted to recognize former Deputy City Attorney Zach Porianda, who recently left the office. For members of the public, Zach advised the commission on disciplinary matters, which, is, uh, which are held in closed session, so wasn't always public-facing. But um, Zach's departure is just a huge loss for the commission and the city. He was an outstanding attorney. Um, his analysis was always really thorough, really well-reasoned and well-articulated. Um, and he always respected that um, we as clients had to make the ultimate decision and that it was his role as the attorney to provide us his best analysis. Um, and he never, he never treated us like passive consumers of legal advice. He always empowered us to make the best decision that we could make. Um, now, of course, not following Zach's advice, you always did that at your own peril because he always seemed to be right. Um, and just before the holidays, I was talking to Zach at one of our meetings, 
and discovered for the first time that he had like half a dozen other clients. You know, he was the general counsel for the fire commission. And I just never thought to ask him if he had other clients because he had such a high volume of work for us and it was always done so well that I just assumed we had to be his only client. <laughs> um, but, but I was very wrong. Um, the last thing I'll say about Zach is you could always go to him to ask, you know, what the right answer thing, to, to, what the right answer was, or how your how the process worked. But Zach was always very willing to question the system and the process itself, and was an incredible thought partner in terms of thinking about how to make the system work better than it was currently working. So I'll just say I'll, I'll miss him a lot. It's really a huge loss to the commission, the city, and, and to me personally. Um, and just really want to wish him the best and thank him for his service to the commission and the city. Thank you, Vice President Carter Overstone. I, I really appreciate you raising or acknowledging uh, Mr. Porianda because he was, in fact, a huge loss. And I think the other thing that he did really well was keep us in line. Um, he provided us um, guidance on uh, how to handle certain situations and ensured that um, when we didn't follow the recommended guidance that there were, um, he made sure that we were well aware of why it was probably a bad idea not to follow his advice. So he is going to be greatly missed. Commissioner Yee. Thank you, uh, President Cindy Elias. Uh, my report for uh, this period is that uh, I had a chance to go down to Ingleside Station to meet with Captain Derek Liu. Uh, I committed to probably about two years ago to meet with Rex uh, Tavares from the Asian Pacific American Community Center. Uh, we, we was able to go down there, uh, Captain Liu and myself and his staff to meet up with uh, APACC and his, uh, some of the community members. Uh, we also got to talk to Marlene Tran and also Jenny Mack. So, uh, it's a, it, was, it was a great, uh, great conversation because uh, Rex, is, uh, he has uh, access to um, uh, Eye Station. If the captain is not there, his staff is readily available. Um, what they're looking for is maybe having, a, I guess, a substation maybe out there in the Visitation Valley. It's probably one of the, um, the because from the distance from Ingleside to Visitation Valley, I found it to be about 10 to 15 minutes. That's thunder. I talked with thunder here today. <laughs> the rain is coming through, so if you hear it. <laughs> so um, uh, there's also a large population of uh, uh, Hispanics out there. So the next chance I get, I'll probably uh, hopefully be able to meet with them with uh, Rex. Uh, I guess the number one concern out there for the monolingual speakers is the reporting of crime. And after the, maybe one or two incidents, and maybe the third incidents of, um, of these, uh, having these crimes uh, happen on them, the fear goes over them is there's nothing happening. So I stress that we make sh that they report the crime so that uh, it's goes up the chain and making sure that additional resources are added there. Uh, hopefully we can have more uh, resources down there. Maybe, uh, I don't know if the uh, district supervisors will provide funding for the San Francisco police uh, 
ambassador. So I, I did talk to, uh, I'll put him on record, uh, Safayi, and he said uh, he's looking forward in doing that. So uh, again, uh, sorry about that, uh, Commissioner uh, Kevin uh, Benedicto for Friday, but the, um, but the Chinese six company wanted to address another issues and that's uh, maybe, maybe uh, the program that's rolling out in the Chinese community in the Chinese new, new New Year, Lunar New Year. So uh, that's their concern. Uh, they say it passed the board, so they will probably follow up once it gets cleared up going forward. Um, so we welcome you there uh, and a report. Thank you. Name a time and I'll be there. <laughs> Commissioner Giannis. <clears throat> Thank you, President Elias. Um, I will make a quick report back. Uh, I do want to take the opportunity to clarify. My wife asked me to remind people that uh, my name is spelled Yanez. We can't add the uh, diacritical uh, you know, symbol above the end, but uh, I just wanted to make sure that folks uh, can try you know, to, to pronounce the name the way it was intended. So but Jesus Yanez. Uh, my report is going to be brief. We uh, have had, as um, Commissioner Benedicto mentioned, a, a couple of meetings on the juvenile DGO. Uh, the early intervention system uh, DGO, there is a meeting scheduled uh, tomorrow to discuss some of the early kind of findings and the transition from the early intervention system into the benchmark system. So we're going to have a conversation about how to move forward with that. I have been meeting with uh, policy director Diana um, Arroche uh, around the social media uh, DGO, which we're going to begin to initiate or gather names for a work group on. And lastly, uh, we are, Janelle from DPA and myself are in contact uh, with uh, Altifer around the community policing DGO, which is not up for a revision, but there is uh, a process right now in revising the community policing manual, uh, which has been uh, shared with us in draft form so that we could look at that and try to provide some feedback as necessary. Uh, those are my main uh, updates, and thank you for the time. Thank you. Um, one thing to report, I want to thank Richmond Station Captain, Captain Canning, for allowing me to attend um, one of the trainings that was um, hosted by DPA and IA uh, regarding the discipline. Uh, I know that DPA and IA have been providing these trainings to district stations um, and have done about uh, half a dozen so far and plan to do more with respect to the remaining stations and different shifts. Um, I want to tell you, Chief, that Lieutenant Wilhelm and her staff did an amazing job um, being there and providing officers the forum and the ability to ask questions about the process and how discipline works, both with IA and DPA. Executive Director Henderson, I also wanted to commend your Chief of Staff, uh, Ms. Rosenstein, on her presentation as well. Both of them did a tremendous job, and it was really, I, I was really happy to see, because I know we received a lot of positive feedback from these trainings, but seeing it firsthand really 
um, showed me why all of this positive feedback is happening because it really was a great presentation, the way that they co-presented and really were focused on educating officers on the disciplinary process, what you all look for, and, and how this works. Because you would be amazed how many officers do not understand or are aware of the process when it comes to discipline. And we have not provided a forum um, in real time, allowing them to ask real time questions about discipline, about the process, and what it is that you all look for, how this um, system sort of plays out. So the officers had really great questions, I thought. Um, and, you know, both of your teams were not only well prepared, but they answered every single question. And I really felt like um, the, the officers appreciated it. So I wanted to thank you both. Um, and I'm really happy that this training is happening, and I look forward to having it finished with the rest of the stations and rest of the um, um, at the rest of the lineups because there's different shifts. Right? Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Commissioner Walker. Uh, thank you, President Linus. Um, a couple of the DGOs I'm working on, specifically <laughs> the uh, BSU which has been lingering for quite a while. Um, edits have gone from DPA to the chief. I think it, it would be really good to have that sort of on calendar so that we can uh, get an update on that. And also 6.3, I think um, um, Ms. Haywood um, has updated that the DPA, again, has edited and sent um, the edits to the chief, so they're resting over there. So hopefully those will be before us um, in some form. Um, I also want to just comment on the, um, I did attend the Marina Town Hall. Um, there was, it was a packed audience, and um, people are concerned about sort of the, the crimes that are occurring there, um, the break-ins and um, property theft. Um, a lot of frustrated folks. The department really presented well. I think that it was interesting because Department of Health was there, um, the Homeless Services Outreach, um, Sam Dodge was there. Um, these are issues I've, I've been talking about with the community a lot in talking about how to coordinate, collaborate with all of the different entities, the ambassador, the there was a question of uh, about the patrol specials status, which the chief and I are talking about, um, all of which can be part of the solution for for bringing um, you know a lot more community attention and community policing out in the community. Um, I also met with some of the folks who are on the CART uh, group, community alternative responses, um, who are making recommendations around. Um, homeless and, and providing assistance and, and help for that. Um, it fits in really well. I think everybody is really interested in, in collaborating between departments especially um, and identifying solutions, um, places where people can go for help um, and not focus on, on policing as a, as a solution out there for some of our mental health and, and um, substance abuse issues that occur on the street and homeless issues. So um, I'm excited about that and hope that we can have some sort of discussion in the near future to, to get commissioner feedback on those things. But thank you for um, the meetings that we've attended together, uh, Chief. I think, you know, it's, 
there's good opportunities for real issues that we're having in the number of officers out there and how do we how do we fill the gaps as it were um, so that's my update thank you sergeant members of the public they'd like to make comment on line item five please approach the podium or press star three President Lice, there is no public comment. Next item, please. Line item six, discussion and possible action to approve revised Department General Order 3.13 field training program for the department to use in meeting and conferring with the affected bargaining units as required by law. Discussion and possible action. So I, I will just uh, be very brief on, on this particular DGO. Um, three, this, this DGO is a long time coming. Our, our FTO program um, is really the, the cornerstone of the future of this department in that this is where our, our incoming uh, officers are trained and this is where the, they really receive the foundational training that carries them throughout their career. So this was a collaborative effort um, with DPA's input and I just want to highlight uh, Lieutenant Lisa Springer and, and her team who provided subject matter expertise on this particular DGO. I think it's, uh, the revisions are definitely uh, in the right direction to address some of the, the evolutions in policing since the last, uh, the last time this DGO was, was revised. So I would ask the commission, I won't belabor the point, but ask the commission to move this forward to the uh, respective um, labor associations for meet and confer for those that are within scope, those issues that are within scope. Chief Commissioner Benedicto. <clears throat> I wanted, uh, thank you, President Elias. I wanted to first see if DPA had any comments or, no. okay. Um, in that case, yeah, I, I also think this is a, a strong improvement. If you look at the red line, the old one was very bare bones and this is just much more comprehensive. This is another one of our DJOs that hadn't been updated since the 90s, and I've expressed <laughs> my strong desire to reduce that number to zero. This was last updated in 1998. Um, so uh, very glad to see this, um, this come through. Um, so I would be happy to make a motion to um, approve the revised general order for use in meet and conferring with the effective bargaining units. Um, I, I would ask that we include the same instruction that I did for um, DGO 9.07 uh, last week, which I'm gonna ask going forward, uh, which is that, um, that the department be directed to only bargain on matters that are within the scope, not uh, gratuitously bargain outside uh, the scope, and also uh, prepare guidelines for what is within and without the scope of representation. I know I said no, but I was looking at the wrong DGO notes, sorry. <laughs> I did have something to say, but I promise I'll be brief because you addressed most of, them, of the stuff. I just want to acknowledge, uh, I know we don't typically talk about uh, the policy team and the work that they do in a lot of these DGOs, and a lot of that is Janelle Kaywood. Uh, but for this one in particular, I just want to acknowledge uh, Jermaine Jones and the work that he did uh, on this particular DGO. Just like you said, this one has been a long time coming. Part of what made this one more relevant or also relevant, but a factor in taking so long is that it requires an update to the manual as well. And that requires a lot more work, a lot more writing, and a lot more detail to be included to make sure 
not just that we're making these policies, but that we're making policies that the department and the officers individually can understand to know what the expectations are for their stuff. So I just wanted to thank everyone for the hard work, specifically the folks on my staff that did an inordinate amount of writing and collaboration. Again, they don't do it in a vacuum or by themselves. And also a shot of appreciation on the limitations for the meet and confer, not just as a war back and forth with any warring parties, but in terms of addressing the efficiencies and how much faster we can move forward to get these reforms in place for everyone, for the public specifically, also for the department to make it just more efficient. So that's all I wanted to say. And it was a DGO that was on the list of 26 that had Correct. been language, languishing. So we are knocking that list down. Uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, Sergeant, Commissioner? Commissioner yeah. yeah. Thank you, uh, President Elias. And I want to just go ahead and second the motion. I do have one um, suggestion. I'm not sure if it's an edit. It may be just the point of clarification that the chief can um, address right now. In uh, 3.132B, uh, it references the first line, a sergeant to be the station's field training coordinator. And the second uh, bullet point there references a, assigning trainees and members returning to patrol to station field training officers, which then makes it a plural. I just want to clarify, is there a single station uh, district or yeah, station field training officer, or are there multiple ones just to to maintain consistency in the language the way it's uh, described at the outset of that paragraph? The, uh, Commissioner, the, there are multiple field training officers in each each station. There's one field training sergeant, but multiple officers. So that's written in a way because it's written in plural. Speaking of members, and, got it. And whoever they get assigned to out of the pool of officers is what that refers to. Okay, well then with that clarification, I'm, uh, I will second the Commissioner Benedicto's motion to approve. Thank you, Sergeant, can we do the public comment? Members of the public, they'd like to make public comment regarding line item six. I do, I don't see anything here with regards. One, one second, he has to finish reading Oh, the sorry, no go ahead. Please approach the podium or press star three if you have comment, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I don't see any community interaction in this field training program. We talked a lot about that last week. And so I'm wondering if, if I'm just not seeing it and if there's any plans to incorporate how to uh, interact with the community in this field training program. Thank you. That is the end of public comment. Commissioner Benedicto, point of clarification. Yes, I just wanted to, since uh, I know we'll get asked about it, to clarify the instructions in the motion, um, which is to um, approve the revised General Order 3.13 for the department to use in meeting and conferring with the effective bargaining units as required by law with the following two instructions to direct SFPD and DHR to only meet and confer with the bargaining unit on matters related to working conditions subject to collective bargaining under California law and not to meet and confer on any part of the DGO that constitute management matters not subject to collective bargaining and to direct SFPD to set clear boundaries on the meet and confer process to ensure no unreasonable delays on reforms for matters within the scope of representation. Commissioner Walker. 
I just have a question if that wasn't part of the agenda. Is that a significant amendment? It's not a, um, it's not a change to the DGO. We did it last week as well on 9.07, have done it in the past. It's just instructions for use uh, with, with moving it forward. Um, my preference would be to include it in the agenda when these are being presented, because I think that the public needs to know what we're instructing. I'm not sure what we would include in the agenda, since it's just, it's just. So you're requesting that the, in addition to the um, action item, you want the language that, with respect to how to proceed with respect to meet and confer, also right. be on the agenda? Yeah, just if we're voting on it, that it just seems. Go ahead. Significant. It, it's. I mean, I'm supportive of it, but I think that we need to let the public know that we're including that in our instructions. That would be my so it, suggestion. It, sorry. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's, I mean, the point of the agenda is to give the public fair notice about, so they know in advance what we're going to discuss and vote on. And it's clear that we're voting on a DGO that will then have to go to meet and confer. So providing instructions on how to proceed and meet and confer to me is well within the scope of what was agendized. So I, I personally, I certainly wouldn't oppose, um, you know, adding more language to the agenda, but I, I also don't think that it's legally required. Others might disagree, but I don't, I, I don't think, uh, I think we're well in compliance with, with the law here since it's clear we're voting on something to send it to meet and confer. Commissioner Yee? Um, I, I guess you're gonna, Regards to the additional languages, meet and confer, and um, is is that going to be? I, I guess uh, I would ask the city attorney if, if that's how we do the policy of uh, meet and confer, and then um, was was the issue? Yeah. Had? So if, if if I could potentially answer first, this was a similar issue that came up yeah. last week. It, it was raised in the letter from the bar association, which is simply directing the, the um, SFPD labor negotiator to ensure that um, there are guidelines and that they're only meeting and conferring within the scope of representation to ensure that we're exactly within the scope of the law. There was a time on this commission, I think it was like a three-year stretch under both the presidencies of President Susie Loftus and President Julius Terman, where these instructions were being routinely added to every past DGO. Um, they don't change the nature of the DGO. They don't change any law. All they are are instructions so that um, our, our designated labor negotiator has the, the, the will of the commission that we need to move these expeditiously and quickly through meet and confer. That's all. Yeah. I guess I was looking for that uh, with the, uh, I guess with the support of the commission to go forward with that, with the, our labor labor lawyer. Right. I, it's also I'm, the same, okay it's the that. same language that yeah. President, when President Cohen was sitting, that we exercised, yeah, that we included an exercise. It's basically the direction of the commission telling the labor negotiator, we want you to just negotiate those items that are subject to negotiation, and that's it. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. Yeah. That's what he's saying. He just is saying it in a lawyer. It, it's way. just that it's needed clarification when a lawyer talked to me. I Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a bill, Commissioner. There you go. <laughs> You That's send the city a bill. <laughs> does it make sense to just, sorry, does it make sense to just add it to it like it was in the past? 
We, it was never it was never put on the agenda. But we what would happen is the motion would be made with the instructions, and then we would pass the motion. So what I'll do is I'll. I mean, every week the agenda is posted. The city attorney reviews it to make sure that it's legally compliant and that we meet all the requirements. So um, I'm told that we're legally compliant and we're good. So I will address it with the city attorney, and if there's any other advice that we should follow, I will handle it. Might I make an offer, um, President Elias, that if, if it is something that this commission is agreed upon, and it seems like it is, that we want to continue what past commissions have done and include language to this effect, if we could agendize, I'm happy to draft a commission resolution that states it is the policy of this commission that uh, when it comes to meet and confer, we do these things. And then if we pass that, then that's posted on the website and we can just say, pursuant to resolution 22-1, these are the instructions. And that way we don't have to, I don't have to repeat it and find that every single time, if that's something. That works for me. Could that be agendized? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know the new rule with respect to agendizing. I'm going to fill out my, I'm filling out my purple Thank folder now. Thank you. I appreciate it. Commissioner Walker, uh, not Walker, sorry. Commissioner Byrne. <laughs> so just, I, I'm, I'm confused. Um, so to the city attorney, so since, since I've been on the commission, it was only, uh, when Commissioner Benedigo last week added the language that that was, um, that that language was put in is, is there a legal distinction between the previous DGOs we voted to meet and confer and adding that language? From a legal standpoint, the notice on the agenda is sufficient. What we're asking is direction to the labor negotiators, and that has been done. I can't say consistently for all DGOs, but it has been done in the past. Um, but for purposes of what is being voted on, I understand that Commissioner Walker is asking for the specific motion to be placed on the agenda, and that's a policy decision. It's not a legal requirement. Okay, I got that part. Now, the, the second part is if, at least what I heard President Elias say, is that the, the two points that Commissioner Benedetto brought up. Benedicto. Excuse me. Uh, Benedicto brought up the... Um, is there a material change in including the language versus not including the language? No, there's not a material change okay. for purposes of whether or not you can vote on it tonight. That's what I understand you asking but me. But is, is there a material change as to what the directions for the labor negotiator are for the city? A change from what? From not having the language in. I mean, in other words, does it have a legal effect uh, that, that not putting the language in um, not putting the language in would. Well, I, from a legal standpoint, it's clearer if you provide direction to I, your I get labor that. negotiators. I get that, but is there a legal effect of not putting the language in? I think that that's a policy call in terms of whether or not you give clear direction to your labor negotiators. So there's a, there's a difference between giving clear direction in terms of how you want negotiations to, to be handled as opposed to a legal requirement. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can we vote now? On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone is yes. And President Elias? Yes. President Elias is yes. You have seven yeses. Next item, please.
Line item seven, update on SFPD budget for public input discussion. Thank you. Good evening, President Elias, Vice President Carter Overstone, Commissioners, Chief Scott, Director Henderson, members of the public. My name is Patrick Leung. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for the San Francisco Police Department. Uh, 27 pages, sir. Yes. We'll, we'll keep it in, within the 10 minutes. Right. Uh, the following table describes the budget process timeline. For tonight's discussion, this will be the first of two presentations. The next presentation is scheduled for February 8th. Tonight, we will focus on the budget process and budget priorities. Prior to this presentation, I had uh, a meeting with Commissioner Byrne and we had some constructive feedback. We also went through the previous slide decks and with uh, Commissioner questions from those sessions and we hope to address it within this presentation. Uh, given the number of slides, I'll, for the sake of time, I'll be prioritizing the important highlights. Mayor's Office Budget Instructions. Departments have been instructed to reduce 5% of their adjusted general fund support and an additional 3% for the following year. Departments should prioritize vacancies to fulfill core functions, to look for efficiencies, and to prepare for an uncertain economic outlook. Mayor policy priorities. The mayor's priorities are for the recovery of the local economy, improving public safety and street conditions, reducing homelessness and improving mental health service delivery, and advancing accountability and equity in services. Department priorities. Our budget priorities are divided into five areas. Hiring and recruitment to help address our sworn staffing shortfalls, overtime to also addre help address staffing shortages, technology resources to help the department migrate to a new RMS system, management and analytical support to help improve analytics uh, and work on unfunded mandates, things such as SB 1421, the 19B ordinance, Prop E, etc. Lastly, the department is looking for additional opportunities for civilianization. Within these core areas, the department hopes to continue with collaborative reform efforts to help advance accountability, community policing, and transparency. Budget comparison. The following table shows the department's total budget over the last four years as compared to fiscal year 24. Please note that the fiscal year 24 number is our base figure and is carried over from the board adopted two-year uh, two fiscal year 23 budget process. Comparing fiscal year 22 with fiscal year 23, the general fund annual operating budget has increased by approximately $45 million. The majority of this difference is attributable to cost of living adjustments for wages. It also includes retention pay premiums, increased fringe benefit costs, and interdepartmental work order increases. These costs are beyond the department's control. Some of them are determined by the collective bonding process, and some of them are pass-through costs from other city departments. Collectively, these 
categories don't result in an increase in public safety services, but they do represent an increased cost in doing business. Our general fund budget comparison. In this table, we break down the general fund supported budget amongst major categories. Uh, overtime is a subset of personnel costs, and we've broken it out separately here. What the data shows is that our overtime budget allocated for the department, while it's fluctuated, what we'll see in the next slides is that it has not been sufficient to meet service demands. In this slide, we show a breakdown of our actual costs for each fiscal year. One important note is that the total spending listed may not always align with the approved budget year due to carry forwards. This is partly due to timing and partly due to the way that the city's financial system operates. To try to simplify this explanation, an analogy would be if somebody works a swing shift. They might start the shift today at 3 p.m. and they get off at 1 a.m. tomorrow morning. Um, their entire shift still gets recorded for today, even though it overlaps for two days. Department full-time equivalent positions. Within this table, we have a comparison of our funded positions and our hiring authority for over the past five years for each category. And th this includes recruits. The city has approximately 2,045 budget sworn FTEs in the fiscal year 23. Historically, we've had approximately 200 sworn employees who are on other than full duty status and they're denoted within the table. Please note that for budgeting purposes, other than full duty FTEs are inclusive of officers who are on modified duty, administrative leave, and medical leave. For fiscal year 24, the city has a total of 2,089 budget sworn FTEs. Looking deeper into our sworn attrition details, we've lost a great number of officers over the last three years, and the rate of attrition has steadily increased. Officers laddering to other agencies have become a recent trend, and approximately one in four officers are eligible to retire. Some officers are choosing to leave prior to maxing out their tenure. Sworn retirement eligibility. Within this table, we show a breakdown of the number of officers eligible to retire and their years of service. The city has 384 officers that are eligible to retire and the airport has 89. City sworn staffing. Within this graph, the purple line shows the recommended staffing levels as determined by the Prop E staffing analysis studies. As of late December, we have 1,788 sworn officers as shown in red. This includes 28 academy recruits. We also have 115 members who are on disability leave and we're at 1,537 full duty sworn, a low point that we've not experienced since 2014. There's an additional 108 members who are on other than full duty status. And in response to a prior commission question, there are 103 sworn members who are on the Brady list. Please note that that number will fluctuate based on separations and any new investigations. When we look at full duty officers and other on officers with other than full duty status, we're now at 537 below the 2021 staffing analysis recommendation of 2,182 sworn. And out of the available sworn for, from that 1,788 number, 828 
Q2s are at district stations. Our sworn staffing has continued to decline and the city has lost 331 officers in the last three years. Vacancy savings funding our overtime needs. We've looked at our budgeted positions and we have approximately 2,045 versus our current sworn staffing of 1,788. The vacancy savings generated from these vacancies are offset by increased overtime usage and also the department's use of Prop F hires. Currently, the department has approximately 123 Prop F hires. Additionally, because of the significant shortfall in the sw our sworn officers, the department has needed to use overtime to help backfill for vacancies and to address ongoing service demands. General fund overtime comparison. Last year, the department expended 47.2 million in overtime versus a budget of 14.6 million. During the fiscal year 23 budget process, 10.8 million was moved from overtime uh, from position vacancies as backfill. I anticipate a similar scenario occurring during the fiscal year 24 budget process. For the current year, the department has already ex exhausted the, its overtime budget and we're currently using vacancy savings to help offset the overtime overages. Overtime backfill to meet minimum staffing requirements is the biggest driver of our overtime. City initiatives to help support the recovery of the local economy, and, and these include the Safe Shopper Program, the Tourism Deployment, these also play a role. Increases in gun violence and the, due to the lack of a jail ward at General Hospital has also contributed to uh, higher overtime usage, and these two areas we expect to double in usage as compared to last year. What this has on, an impact to our response times. The significant shortfall in staffing has contributed to deteriorating response times for calls for service. Priority A calls are now exceeding the nine minute mark compared to the eight minute target. Priority B calls are over 33 minutes compared to a 20 minute target. Priority C calls are approaching 76 minutes compared to a 60 minute target. When we look at our calls for service, we've had a reduction of 38% in 2022 compared to 2019. When we look deeper into the details, on-view calls have fallen at more than twice the rate of our public calls for, to 911, and it represents a majority of the drop in call volume. On-view calls are self-initiated activity, and it, it represents officers having a lack of proactivity time because they're running from call to call. And it also reflects the deterioration in response times as shown in the previous slide. Several years ago, the city created the street crisis response team as an alternative to law enforcement. And while the ratio of calls responded by SCRT has improved, the department still took on more than 60% of its calls in 2022. We do hope that this ratio improves in 2023. Part one crime comparison. We can see that it, compared to 2021 for fiscal year 20 or calendar year 2022, violent crimes are up 6.2% and total part one crimes are up 5% over the prior year. Lastly, with the gun violence comparison, when we look at the numbers, the total shooting victims remain much higher in 2022 as compared to several years ago in 2019. We have achieved some areas of success with our violence reduction strategies. Total shootings are down 19% in Bayview and 
11% in Ingleside. As we go into the budget year, staffing remains our number one priority. The department has had to rely upon overtime to help supplement existing staffing, and this will continue into the next year. We have a concerted effort to retain existing staff. For each sworn officer that leaves, it takes approximately 1.25 recruits to replace each person that leaves when you factor the washout rate at the academy. We're now at 537 officers below the recommended staffing level, and we have another 384 officers that are eligible to leave. Recruitment and retention will certainly be a major focus during this budget process. And I apologize for running a little bit over. If the, any commissioners have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. New 27 slides was not <laughs> too good to be true, but that's okay. I want to give you a second to breathe. Thank you. All right. Vice I was within the 10 minutes during the practice and I know. I kind know. Of I, he slowed you yeah. down. <laughs> He's <laughs> over there touching your PowerPoint. Um, okay. Vice President Carter-Oberstone. Great. Thank you, President Elias. Thank you, Director Leung. Um, just two questions for me. On page 11, uh, which outlines um, retirement eligibility among yes. current staff, <clears throat> there's this note that says does not include any service time served at other agencies. Yes. So, I mean, I'm assuming there's some type of reciprocity between agencies such that you know, if you've got a few years somewhere else and a few years here, you can combine them and retire. Do we have any sense for what eligibility looks like once we take into account service at other agencies? Is it vastly different or? That, uh, that's not something that I, I'd have to circle back on that. Um, it is true that <laughs> I can help him out. It's not going to be vastly different. Okay. Yeah. Is it, okay. And, and do you have a sense for why that is? Just because I feel like there, there, there's a lot of officers who have worked at other agencies, and I would think that that would that might you know affect the numbers in a significant way. I think it's just overall, there aren't enough officers to offset it. So we do get lateral officers, but not in droves and droves. So I think that that contributes to the problem overall. We can circle back and get numbers of like what that would look like factoring in their service, but I don't think it's going to make a dramatic impact. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. That's helpful. Um, and then, so my other question is about response times. Um, so that's slide 15. So <clears throat> it looks like, okay, from 2019, 2020, response times generally get slower. Um, at the same time, calls are all decreasing, particularly among priority B and C calls, which are the bulk of the calls. Just wondering if you could provide any color on how we should think about the increase in, in the response time. I mean, obviously, staffing is part of it, but at the same time, calls for service are going down. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts um, on what the main drivers are of the increase in response time. To me, at least the main driver of the, the deterioration of the response times is really associated with the lack of staffing. The dip that we see between it, within the early part of 2020 was when the city was on a lockdown because of the pandemic. Um, there, there was a lot less traffic and I mean, you, I was able to drive from one end to the city to the other in less than 15 minutes. 
and we, we've traffic has returned more toward back to normal, and because there's more traffic within the, within the streets, coupled with the lack of officers that we have as compared to just two years ago. Right. It, it definitely has an impact to our ability to respond to the cost of service. Okay, that, that makes sense. I mean, I guess I'm just asking because total costs for service in 2019 are 690,000 roughly. Right. And in 2022, it's 430,000. So that's like, that's a pretty significant drop. Our staffing is also dropped, but as a percentage, not as much as the calls. <clears throat> and granted, a lot of the drop is in BNC priority calls, but um, yeah, I guess I was just curious if there was something else going on here other than staffing, because it just, the drop in calls is so much more precipitous than the drop in staffing. Here's, here's an important note on that slide. That there is a big decrease from 2019 to 2022, but the majority of that decrease is because of a reduction on on-view calls. And on-view calls is part of, the officer is, is from his proactive time, he, he's driving his, his uh, sector and he encounters you know, an incident in progress and he stops. That, the reduction in on-view calls is like two-thirds two of the total of, of, of the reduction from 2019 to 2022. So oh, meaning- wait. Sorry, sorry, so just to clarify, maybe I need to ask a more basic question since I may, may not be understanding, I assume call for service is a non-officer puts in a call asking for assistance in some way, not an officer observing something. So you're saying in some instances an officer observing something in the first instance without a resident reaching out is included as a call for service? As it's shown from, from our CAD system, the city's CAD system, it's a part of it is public 911 calls and the other part is on-view costs, officer self-initiated calls. The breakdown is the last two rows within that chart. Gotcha, okay, perfect. Okay, thanks so much. I, I had a follow-up question on that because today when I was at the Richmond station, I heard officers um, expressing their concern um, about the percentage and how many uh, calls they get called out to regarding civil disputes. And that a majority of their calls that they're dispatched to are civil disputes that have really no business, no business having police intervention where someone calls and says, I don't like my landlord, we got into a verbal argument, come, come do something. And officers, you know, they aren't in training, they aren't taught how to handle civil disputes, nor should they, because we want them to sort of focus on criminal uh, situations. So I'm wondering um, if there's a way to break up these statistics to show how many uh, civil disputes they actually respond to versus you know, the criminal priority A, B, and C calls. Um, because I think that according to the officers, a majority of their time is being focused on these civil disputes and it takes away from their ability to handle these priority A and B calls. At least within the cause for service, uh, DEM, they do, they do separate the different call codes. Um, I don't know if there's a call code specific to, that, to, yeah. 
that category. I got you. <laughs> phone, a, phone a friend. Ta ta yeah. Ta um, so we would be able to parse out some of them, but not all of them. So typically, in the situation you just described, that would come out as a 418, right. which is a fight, right? There would be no call code that would indicate that that was a fight because of a civil dispute. So that's where it's hard to parse out the data. There are some call codes that would lend themselves to be more you know, easily targeted as something that would be civil, but not all of them are quite so easily, you know. Right. Yeah. So it would be tricky. We can parse all the call codes out and let you know, you know, how many of this we responded to and how many of that and what priorities they were. But sometimes there's nuances. You know, a lot of information is coded into the notes, which are harder to pull. So. Chief, maybe that's something we can explore about the civil disputes and how much time it takes away from our officers being able to respond to actual criminal complaints and things they should be responding to. All right. Thank you. Yes, we, we can. And, and a lot of those calls are calls to keep the peace. And we do have some procedures on how officers should handle those calls, the ones that they need to stay there and you know keep the peace, and the ones they to disengage because there's really nothing uh, that they can do so there is right. some training on that and the officers today I think we're voicing the concern and frustration over the fact the second category which you explained which is there's nothing they can do and the protocols in place for what they can handle don't apply to the situations they're being called out to so which I think is very frustrating and problematic for them we will dig into it thank, thank you. you Commissioner Byrne uh, thank you um, um, just a, a, a few points of clarification. Can you tell um, uh, the commission and the public uh, what percentage of the police budget goes to wages? If you factor in the um, the salaries that other performing departments provide on behalf of the department, meaning our work orders, it's approximately 90%. And the vast majority of that is covered by labor contracts, such as the Police Officers Association? Correct. So basically, approximately 90% of the budget has to do with the number of officers that are allocated in a given uh, fiscal year? Officers and also our professional staff, correct. Okay, thank you. Um, and then uh, just to uh, some of the slides you didn't get, get to, the sort of uh, outside vendors um, so the public uh, may be interested in why uh, over $3 million goes in uh, rent. Can you explain where that uh, money is going to and what it's for? Sure. For our facilities, we do work with the Department of Real Estate. They are actually have, um, they're actually responsible for negotiating all the lease agreements on behalf of all city departments. And for some of our facilities, actually a lot of our facilities, some of them are managed centrally by um, Department of Real Estate, and we will pay them via an interdepartmental work order. But there are other agreements if it's specifically, if it's a space specifically just for the police department, then the city's practice is that we pay the, the vendor directly. So for the, in this instance, 16th Street Associates for 3.3 million is our annual cost for one of our facilities over on 17th Street. And can you tell for the public what that facility is? 
The, it, the facility is for our, is our department operations center. Okay. And then the, the last item that I, that I wanted to call, uh, call uh, the public and attention to is that the department gets billed uh, by other city departments for the use of their services. And that, after the wages, is the most significant line item in the police budget. Is, is that correct? That, that is correct. We do break out uh, some of the categories, and that's on slide 27. Uh, slide 7. And it's approximately, it varies from year to year. It's between 10 and 11% of the total budget. And again, the department has no control over that because the, it's not negotiated. The other city department simply builds the police department for those items. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Yee. Uh, thank you, uh, President Cindy Elias. Uh, first thing I wanted to ask is um, the hiring and recruitment. Um, this year, California passed uh, SB 960, non-citizens right to be employed. Is that part of the hiring process that you have, uh, I, I guess, looked into? Yes, that's new, and we're currently in discussions now about how our department is going to handle that. So we have a meeting scheduled in the next month with the city attorney's office and DHR so everybody can come to the table. But we're definitely aware of it, exploring the options, um, and uh, we should have an update soon. Okay, so, so it should be part of the city I mean, police department policy to follow as well. Is that... Is that so the way that that is structured, the department can elect to opt in um, and move forward with hiring non-U.S. citizens, um, and they can also elect not to opt in. So we're just making sure that we understand all of the information before the department makes a decision. Okay. Uh, second question I have on technology. Uh, we talk about the body-worn cameras where uh, officers have to activate it. I know there's a department that has a um, holster trigger that once it's removed from the holster, it triggers the body-worn camera. Uh, do we have, are you guys aware of that? We're aware of it, but we, don't, we do not currently have that technology. The uh, question is why. Because Commissioner Walker is looking into it and we haven't done anything <laughs> yet, <laughs> Commissioner Yee, but she's on it, so she'll report mm -hmm. back. <laughs> um, the the okay. body one. I, I want to see what the, the chief holster. said. Yeah, with the holster. Yeah. So that is technology that we, we are aware of, as Commander Acting yeah. Deputy Chief uh, Jones stated. Uh, a couple things, uh, including the costs and the availability of that technology when we first acquired um, this tech technology, body one cameras, we weren't ready for that type of technology. So in the future, I don't think it was even available then, but in the future, that is something that we have discussed. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that in terms of cost versus whether um, you know, we can afford it and whether it's going to be a value added to our, our police department. So um, we haven't settled on all those issues, but we will keep you posted as that discussion and others about technology continue to move forward. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Chief. And last one, uh, question on the budget. Uh, does it include What's the percentage of the budget includes uh, are related to training? 
Uh, I know we're going to have uh, tons of G DGLs that we're going to have updates. So I know that's time off the clock out in the field, and that may impact the load. This, I, I do have a slide on that. If, if you, you know, if you have it, if not, um, yes, I'll take it at next so time. We do have several um, units that are directly involved with training. Um, most of them are with our academy unit. There's approximately 40, 49 FTEs, and they range from providing administrative support, um, providing instructions to our recruit classes, providing professional development, um, field training tactics, uh, our EVOC emergency vehicle operation course. Those total about approximately 49 FTEs. We do have a training budget of a Outside of those positions, we have a training budget of approximately 1.7 million um, to cover everything else. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll reserve it for uh, next meeting. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Yi. Uh, Commissioner Yanez. Thank you, President Elias. Thank you for the effort. Uh, a few questions about the budget. One of the so, how many new FTEs or of the attrition losses from the previous year? How many new hires do we have this in uh, calendar year 2022? Currently, we have 64. 64 new hires. And uh, I know that there is, uh, you know, part of the mayor's budget instructions are you know to figure out how to maybe reclassify positions and we've had the conversation um here at the commission around uh increasing or finding uh non-sworn staff uh you know civilianizing certain positions and i noticed that in your report here it sounds like there were some efforts to civilianize positions but i only see maybe i think there's about 30 that were uh reflected in the difference between fiscal year uh 21 or 22 and 23. Uh, what is the process that the department is currently undertaking to determine what types of um, positions or what type of activities can be civilianized i think a lot of it has to do with the scope of work so one of the major areas that we're invested in right now is a tr our transition to the new NIBRS system. That's, uh, I can't remember what it stands for. The National Incident-Based Reporting System. It's a FBI standard. We have an RFP that was negotiated. We have a vendor for a new RMS system, but it's definitely a heavy lift for us to transition from our old system to that new standard. Many of those positions that are helping to support that transition are professional staff. In the past, we've had to use sworn officers to help supplement um, our technology division. And so those are, that, that's an example of one area that we're looking at. As far as other civilianization opportunities, it's, it definitely is dependent upon the scope of work and whether it involves um, functions that require uh, a sworn member to perform specific functions. And Commissioner, we've started to meet regularly 
um, as a command staff regarding this very issue, really exploring the professional staff hiring needs, what can be used to civilianize, if not entirely a position, at least a portion of the position that would free up um, that officer for duties that would be more akin to what a sworn officer would do. So we've made a concerted effort to address that. What we're looking at now is doing another big pass through the department and again, trying to put professional staff in place in this budget cycle that will prevent us from having to bring any sworn officers in to do any of this work and also to be able to potentially put officers back on the street who may be doing the work already. Thank you for that, uh, Deputy Chief Jones. My other question is, I, I understand that you know, you indicated that a large percentage of the calls that are going to the, uh, I believe it's the SRT, uh, SCR teams, uh, are also requiring uh, police response, right? Department response in addition to the SCR team uh, response, even though they're lower priority calls. And my understanding is that there are some um, certain types of calls or certain situations where the SERT teams don't feel that they can uh, respond to it as effectively uh, without department support. Is there any type of cross-training that is taking place to be able to better equip those teams to respond to those priority A and B calls yet? Um, I'm not sure about the cross-training. I'm not sure that we've done anything specific related to that, but I'm sure that we have had conversations, Chief. Yeah, oh, Commissioner, just to verify or clarify, rather, are, we, are we talking about with other departments? Uh, yeah. Yes, so whether it's the CI, well, I believe they're called the SCRT teams, right, or the CIT team. My understanding is sometimes maybe there's a response for someone in a mental health, you know, condition or... or having an episode, they get there, they may find that there's a weapon or they believe that there's a weapon and then they require police yes. department response support also, right? Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of discussion on that very type of, of issue. Um, and it's, a, it's an evolving conversation. Um, in terms of training with the fire department, there is some training, not particularly on that, specific type of example you gave with SCRT. It's at a higher level, like the tactical incidents, and you barricaded suspects, that type of thing, where we've trained or have trained in the past with, with the fire department. The day-to-day -day stuff, it's been more conversations of how we would respond, when we can support them, when it's appropriate for uh, the fire department or service providers to call us when they need um, us to respond to try to help protect their safety. There's been a lot of those conversations, not necessarily training exercises, but conversations just so we're all clear on uh, the rules of, of and protocols of what we're doing. So it's, there's been a whole lot of that. Is, is training that the department offers available to some of those other entities that are starting to pick up and do some of this work that is uh, you know, for those non-priority calls, let's say, or for priority A and B calls? Well, we've actually given training, like CIT training, to entities like Urban Alchemy, um, and there are some others, but Urban Alchemy, definitely, we've done it, uh, CYC as well, I believe. So yeah, we, we, yes, we do 
offer training and we do get requests for those types of uh, collaborative training opportunities and it, it does help. I think uh, we're all trying to get to the same place in terms of a, a response that's appropriate, a response that de-escalates to prevent things from getting out of control or turning uh, into a bad outcome. So we have done it and we will continue. If I may just add, on slide 17, we do break out out of the SCRT calls. There is a designation of the number of calls that get referred back to SFPD. And, and it is a relatively small number. So. In 2022, there was uh, 10,895 calls from SCRT, and 252 of those went back, were, were referred back to the police department. And it, it is, fortunately, it is a small set, a, a small number of calls that get referred back. Good to know. Um, the other question I wanted to ask is, in the area of overtime, I know that your first slide indicates that some of this overtime is also being utilized for like writing reports, administrative uh, elements of the work. Um, is there a cap for how much overtime in the field people are allowed to utilize? I, I can imagine, you know, based on uh, previous testimony from officers, you know, when they're running from call to call to call, obviously the paperwork isn't the priority, it's keeping the community safe. But at some point, you know, we're all human and there's a threshold for how much we can hold and how much we can work um, without then beginning to, to be stressed or to begin to make some, some mistakes, right? Yes. Um, how do we monitor this, not necessarily for the resource, but for the well-being of the individual officers? Sure. So uh, I'll answer that in a couple of parts. Uh, we do have, the department does have an overtime policy that dictates how many hours an officer may work within uh, a 24-hour period. There is an administrative cap by the city of 520, off, or 520 hours in a fiscal year that a person can work overtime. Because of the significant staffing shortages, we did make a request um, to DHR to lift that cap. Uh, I can't recall off the top of my head what number that is, but we do have an exception to exceed that cap for this fiscal year. Got it. Chief, uh, are there any uh, plans to, to support, I guess, staff with the, the documentation? Because I think uh, another commissioner mentioned it earlier, with the changes in DGOs, there is training that is, should complement some of the new expectations. Is, is that something that is part of your budget right now, an increase in training, or is that a conversation that's taking place at the department? Um, let, me, it's, let me answer that. I'm, I'm kind of back to what uh, Director Leon said. The, the training, particularly for DGOs, you know, we try to work in, we not try, we do work in a period that we train on uh, changes in DGOs and depending on the complexity of that, it could be shorter or longer. Where that, where that rears its, its, its head is officers are away from their assignments when they, when, if it's formal training anyway, they're away from their assignments. So we have to factor in those absences when we fill the cars in a station in terms of 
you know, backfills. And, and so it really kind of surfaces with overtime. You know, overtime, you have to factor in officers calling in sick, you know, uh, uh, leave due to disability types of issues, military leave, all those things, training. And the bottom line is, while all those things are happening, those, those assignments have to be completed and those, those sector cars have to be filled. So that's really where you see it because it's factored into our equation. We know we're going to have absences. Uh, there's a pretty consistent percentage of any um, police department that not there for those types of reasons and you have to factor it in. So when you're short staffed like we are and facing the types of challenges we are facing, we backfill those positions. So overtime is where you see that, not necessarily from increasing the training budget, but increasing the overtime budget so people can be a way to train. Hope that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the um, clarification there. Uh, those were my main questions. I'm gonna uh, just, kind of piggyback on what Commissioner Yee said. I, I would hope that we will be opting in to hiring uh, non-citizens in whatever capacity, whether they're non-sworn staff or administrative. Um, I think, you know, anything to contribute to filling those vacancies. Thank you very much for your report. Thank you. Sergeant. For members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item seven, please approach the podium or press star three. Guys, I was going um, to try not to say anything, but I, the attrition rate is, I, I, I work for a, a drug company, and we talk about attrition all the time, and we plan for it. I'm confused, um, and so I would, I think that addressing the attrition rate is, should be top of mind here. Um, it also keeps our officers safe when there are lots of officers available to support each other. So their safety is the number one concern. If they feel safe, then they can fight crime and they can find my brother's killer. I wanted to throw that in, but really seriously, I think the attrition rate needs to be addressed by this commission and whatever can be done to support Chief Scott and his team. Thank you. From the public. Good evening, caller, you have two minutes. So, Commissioner, this budget needs a needs assessment <laughs> with input from the officers. So, the mayor and some of y'all think y'all need 2,000 officers. We don't know whether you'll have uh, 900, 1,000, 1,200. We have no clue. You need to do a needs assessment and focus on the mental wellness of the officers from which all the problems come from. And the mayor doesn't know this because she cannot do a needs assessment. The commissioners must step up and look after our officers and don't rely on some Mickey Mouse, nonprofits, and some other entities that come from LA 
and some other areas, New York with models of this and that, and teach us in San Francisco how to do our work. And then after the Mickey Mouse starts, the Mickey Mouse operations get our police involved in this, that, and the other. Wake up. We need standards. Faster slip at the cockpit. Thank you very much. President Lyons, there is no more public comment. Line item eight, collaborative reform initiative, quarterly update presentation, discussion. Did they break it? I'm sure I broke it. <laughs> I'd say right. Yeah. See why we need our IT, bu oh. our IT budget? <laughs> uh, good evening, Commission President Elias, Commissioners, uh, Chief Scott, <clears throat> pardon me, and uh, Director Henderson. My name is uh, Sergeant Gabriel Rivera. I'll give you the quarterly update for the Collaborative Reform Initiative. Uh, as a baseline, this is where our initiative stands so far. We remember there are 272 recommendations that came from this uh, assessment, 245 of which are deemed substantially compliant, leaving us with 27 recommendations to work on. Uh, much of the work done over the past year has been in sustainability of the reforms that we have completed while also developing further plans for the remaining 27 recommendations. Uh, slides three and four are reflective of how we established and worked towards sustainability during uh, year 2022. As we move through the year, we incorporated additional sustainability efforts, including sharing on a weekly basis, sustainability documents with Cal DOJ and Jensen Hughes. As a reference point, Jensen Hughes is uh, formerly known as Hillard Hines. As we begin our new year, the Captain of Professional Standards will be doing a review of sustainability uh, with the goal of identifying effectiveness, efficiency, and areas uh, for improvement. The outcome of that review will be presented to Chief Scott uh, mid next month. In addition to sustainability, work continues towards the completion of the remaining 27 recommendations. Part of that work includes um, successful contract negotiations and ultimately entering into a contract with Jensen Hughes. Also, our CRI partners met with each executive sponsor for the remaining objectives to discuss work done over the past year, as well as proposed project plans and key project milestones moving forward. And we'll begin our technical guidance calls and working sessions with our CRA partners uh, next month. I apologize for the slide reading next week. Those calls will begin next month. Um, 
Many of the remaining recommendations are related and they have shared work efforts to that end. Project plans were developed to best address the completion of these recommendations. Those four project plans are shown here and the following slides will go into more detail of each. You'll see this slide is representative of slides you've seen in other presentations. Uh, I'll focus your attention to the milestones sections. For this one, there are two areas of significant progress made for this project, the use of force data collection and arrest data. Use of force data collection with the new DGO 5.01 updates, the technology division integrated use of force data collection into the incident reporting system. Also, a vendor has been identified to build an improved data collection tool that will be integrated with the new records management system. Um, with regard to arrest data, the new records management system will, uh, will house the improved SFPD arrest data for improved analysis. Uh, data informed personnel development. Uh, working with our vendor, this partnership has been developing metrics and capturing data from different systems to inform the management project. An important aspect of this project is keeping our collaborative partners, the Cal DOJ and Jensen Hughes teams, informed to reaffirm our approach to make sure we're still on the right track and uh, reaffirm their, their level of involvement. An upcoming milestone is a budget proposal, will be budget proposals to enhance our existing contract with the vendors and to further refine and develop the scope of work. The department currently engages in weekly meetings to identify these refinements, uh, scopes, and analytical review. These community policing recommendations continue to make progress. Recently, the early drafts of the Chief's Advisory Forum Manual and the Community Policing and Problem Solving Manual have been shared with our CRI partners as well as with the Department of Police Accountability. Additionally, Division, unit, and district level annual community policing plans are under development for the second year. Uh, some things, some milestones we look forward to as a department looks towards working with the Center for Policing Equity to gain an independent look at process for the development of community policing plans and recommended improvements to those processes. The department also looks to sharing the advisory form and community policing manuals on a broader scale. Uh, management tools and discipline metrics. Uh, milestones, a committee has been identified to help fulfill this project plan. This committee's goal is to address fair and impartial discipline, specifically with focuses on variances in the application of discipline and trend identification. Upcoming milestones, we look towards budget proposals for additional analysts and an expanded review of organizational trends. And any trends that are identified in findings would help to inform improvements in training uh, and officer performance. The objectives here are to use technology to make real-time data-driven decisions for officer performance and to have a committee review discipline for fairness and impartiality. Amongst the remaining recommendations, there are some what we call standalone recommendations, meaning the recommendation isn't necessarily tied to other ones. There isn't a whole lot of overlap work, so they stand alone. Recommendation 55.2, uh, 
uh, is to develop and report aggregate data regarding complaints against department members. The effort currently is to acquire an analyst for internal affairs and identifying current organizational trends with regards to complaints and developing process for capturing data to inform internal as well as external publication. Recommendation 391 calls to develop a comprehensive organizational strategic plan. And 41.1 is to develop community policing and problem solving manual. The current direction for that is we're engaging with our CRA partners to explore the utilization of department strategic, utilization of current department strategic plans and manuals to formally address these two recommendations. Recommendation 1.1 is to review and understand the reasons for the disparate use of deadly force. As preparations for the analytical scope of work commenced, the necessity for legal review, a research board, and additional guidance became clear. So the timeline on 1.1 has been extended to accommodate uh, those necessary reviews and participation. As a department, we will be looking at budget proposals to include additional analysts, projects funding, uh, such as funding for the records management for years two and three. Our CRI partners will be monitoring this, what is hoped to be the final stage, uh, through partner calls, monthly working sessions, and site visits from the Jensen Hughes team. We will have our finalized timeline, our scope, and project met metrics for the final report, and that report is expected uh, towards the end of year 2024. So at that point, I will pause and answer any questions as what I can and as best I can. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the presentation. I just wanted to flag it because I know you talked about uh, transitioning the meetings uh, into the Jensen Hughes process, but I just wanted to affirm uh, for folks in case there was an issue or a question, uh, the DPA is also going to be included in this, in the new meetings and the new format. So we just continue to working with the process as a collaboration and thank you. That's it. Can we go to public comment, Sergeant? For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item eight, please approach the podium or press star three. And Vice President Carter Oberstone, there is no public comment. All right, next item, please. Line item nine, public comment on all matters pertaining to item 11 below, closed session, including public comment on item 10, vote whether to hold item 11 in closed session. If you'd like to make public comment, please approach the podium or press star three. And there is no public comment. Line item 10, vote on whether to hold item 11 in closed session, including vote on whether to assert the attorney-client privilege with regard to item 11A, San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.10. Action. Can I get a motion? So moved. Second. Oh. Oh, sorry, Commissioner. No, Brown. no, no. You were faster in jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> on the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez, yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have six yeses. 
we will go into closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
I'm going to make my motion, but I'll be fast. Sir. I'll be fast. All right, commissioners, we are back in open session. Line item 12, vote to elect whether to disclose any or all discussion on item 11 held in closed session. San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.12A, action. Motion, Can I be? Can I get a motion? Uh, I, don't, I, I wanted to recognize first. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, President Elias. Um, so on October 12th of 2022, this commission did something very notable and positive for transparency around negotiations with the Police Officer Association and our continued progress on police reform efforts. It voted nearly unanimously to disclose portions of meet uh, and confer with the POA regarding DGO 5.01 use of force that the commission determined fell outside of the bounds of strictly working conditions and therefore entitled to be seen by the public. And that was, at the time, uh, the first time in, in any record that I could find the commission has done that. Um, you had multiple outside organizations in police accountability commending that action. You had uh, Executive Director Henderson commending that action. And, and, I, and I think it was positive all around. The, 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 the POA was um, a productive partner in those negotiations, and it was, I think, a positive thing that members of the public were, were able to see them working productively with the commission, and we moved that policy forward. And I think that that situation has arisen again, and hope that the commission will act in a similar way. And so um, I'm going to make a motion to not disclose uh, item 11, with the exception of items 11C and 11D, um, because it is my view that the discussion on items 11C and 11D fall outside of the working conditions and scope representation, and there's no reason those negotiations couldn't be held um, before the public. So I'm going to move to not disclose item 11, but with the exception of items 11C and 11D, which would be uh, disclosed to the public. And I'd like to second that motion, and the only thing I would add to that is that Making uh, items 11 C and D public is not optional. We have a legal obligation. Um, the only reason that we can have um, discussions about POA negotiations in closed session in the first instance is, is when those discussions are about items within the scope of representation. And if they're not within the scope of representation, then under public disclosure laws, including the Brown Act and the Sunshine Law, we're required to make those items public. So um, for that reason, because I think we're, we're legally mandated to do so, I, I second Commissioner Benedicto's motion. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 12, please approach the podium or press star three. And there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto. Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yan is? Yes. Commissioner Yan is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. And President Elias? Yes. President Elias is yes. You have seven yeses. Line item 13, adjournment, action item. Adjourn. Oh, I'm not. Paul, here you go. Okay.